morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88. Right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with the double L team, Lyle and... Lawson! Lawson! What are you thankful for this morning? Ah, oh, okay. This is what I'm thankful for. Last night, uh, well, yesterday, yesterday afternoon. Well, okay, so I got back yesterday, right? So I was away for a couple of days, got back, got in touch with my Bible study contacts uh, that I missed out the previous three days and was just like, hey, do, do you want to study the Bible with me today? I know this is last minute. And a bunch of them were like, yes. So I did a ton of Bible studies yesterday. Literally my whole di- day was just Bible study to Bible study to Bible study to Bible study to Bible study. And guys, like you just cannot be more blessed than, than doing something like that. Bible studying with a lot of people. So did a bunch of Bible studies, and then I followed that up um, with going to, you know, on the university campus that I'm working on, they have a Japanese English club. Uh, and my in at the Japanese English club is that my colleague, uh, Hannah, is Japanese. Yes. And so and and I know that, a bunch of people. I know a bunch of people there now, and we're friends. And I go along and and hang out with them and chat. You can do it without Hannah. Hannah yeah, now. that's right. That's what happened okay. yesterday. That's she cool. she had to uh, go down and, and record something for three ABN, so some amazing Sabbath school media. Uh, whereas for me, I was just hanging out at this club, and I went and I spent some time, and I met this guy, and I had a chat with him, and I was like, "Do you want to do a Bible study with me?" And he was like, "Yeah." I really want to do a Bible study. And so I was like, praise the Lord. Like it's, uh, yeah, God is really good. And I was so blessed to be able to, to spend that time and to find people who are interested in, in studying God's word. You're listening to the breakfast show podcast on faith FM, positively different. It's time for the pentathlon quiz. Lawson's going to bring you the first question. It will be an easy one. Go for it, Lawson. All right. For 100 points, this is the question. What widespread lack of food forced the patriarch Isaac to leave his home and move to another country? 0491-064-669 is the number to call if you know the answer. Uh, if you do, for 100 points, you can win yourself a Faith FM bookmark and bumper sticker. Or you can get your points on the board. If you can answer every single question correctly, you win every single prize. But again, that question is, what widespread lack of food forced the patriarch Isaac to leave his home and to move to another country? 491 Okay, let's talk about some positively different news this morning. I hear you have a serious positive news story. I want to yeah. know. I, I, I'm just so um, it is. It is a serious positive news story. In fact, I have two stories, both of them revolving around children. Okay, um, both of them with good endings. Uh, one is a little bit more lighthearted and, and, and funny. I'm going to leave that one to the end to kind of cleanse our palate. This first one is, is actually quite serious. Um, so it's a story that is coming out of the UK um, and that uh, has been kind of focused in um, and, and the kind of central figure in, in the article itself um, is a woman. Uh, it, they've just given her last name. Her name is Miss Armstrong. She's now like 19, uh, but she just wanted to... Oh, yeah, she just wanted to be identified by her last name. Uh Essentially, she, her, her own uh, pictures from when she was a school student and wearing, you know, a school uniform and going to, sh- to school uh, were taken from her Facebook page and distributed on a Facebook group called Best School Girls. Ooh, you're joking. Where creeps would look at those photos and share them and and write vile and disgusting things. Now, she herself is is 19 years old now. She is of age, but these photos 
Jeez, that were taken. An adult. But even still, nobody has right to be sharing your photos around just willy-nilly all over the internet. Well, this is this is where the big conversation is coming in because she uh, was informed by this uh, from a friend and then she went to her mum and they had a discussion about it and there was multiple people that she knew on there. So she decided to report this. She knew a bunch of these people that were sharing and using these photos. She knew a bunch of her friends that were featured on this page because she is a right. young woman and then yes. there's other okay. young wom- women. Um, but her her photo had to get on there because someone... It's a personal Facebook photo. Like, yes, they've screenshot it. And they've screenshotted it and put it on there. Uh, not hard to do. Right, that's right. So then she uh, gets in contact with the police in Northern Ireland and she says, okay, this is really terrible because this, what she basically describes everything I describe right now. It's a Facebook page that takes photos of underage girls and posts them, and then make expl- uh, sexually explicit comments about them yes. and whatnot. She made this report, and the response that she got initially was uh, quite disheartening. Essentially, the police said to her, "Well, you should just change the privacy settings on your Facebook." And she was like, "How does that change what's going on here? Like, this is." Isn't this like illegal or something? And she's and the police said to her, "Well, no, uh, because your photos are in the public domain. Like y- you're the one who posted them. How can you say that the like? Yeah, this is this this technically isn't wrong." But then she kind of argued back to that by saying, "Well, actually, they're they're making they're they're proliferating um, content of minors in a sexual way, and that is yes. disgusting and gross. Yes, and so eventually." Uh, the Northern Ireland police force got onto Facebook and they shut down the page. So that is the good, the good ending from this. But it's opened up a little bit of a can of worms, uh, within just policing in Ireland. And I, I think all around the world, uh, you know, we need to, because we're, we're not Irish, uh, we are Australian. And it would be really good to see what the Australian federal police's stance on this is and how they would deal with this specific, uh, this specific scenario, because it's terrible. Like the reality is, is, this is absolutely terrible horrific. and disgusting. And like she and described, she didn't find her, all of these perpetrators, lock them up, and throw the key away. That's right. She felt herself in in the comment that she, that she gave uh, to her local news station. She was like, "I felt like I had been exposed for something that I never even did." You know, because we hear like stories about people's private photos, you know, getting leaked and whatnot, and people finding out. And, and there's already very strong laws against that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, regardless of whether you're a child or an adult, yeah. even as an adult, there are very strong laws against that. That's right. Um, but this is just photos of her as a child wearing a school uniform, and people are sending it to each other. Yes, it's just seriously. the most creepy, disgusting thing. Like, it, all, like in in totality. And so we know this is terrible. Well, obviously, we can sit here and say this is awful, but like. As we in Australia, we have these laws coming through, you know, these social media protection laws and whatnot, and there's a lot of discussion as to how effective they will actually be. And and personally, there's lots of reasons for myself. I, I've seen a lot of cases where these laws are not used to protect children, but are actually used to censor people. But I, right. I pray... Um, Sense of people and abuse children in some of the laws. Yeah, but I pray that, that this legislation coming through can actually achieve what happened here eventually in Northern Ireland, uh, where they decided to take this page down because this is this is disgusting. Like this is not. Okay. It's one of those things where I'm sort of coming to the conclusion that anything that you post online is free game, and mm-hmm. 
is open to be abused and misused by whoever goes on there with a really bad agenda. Mm -hmm. And so I think we need to post online with that in mind. I think that we need to think if I'm posting this up, this is how it can be used and probably will be used. And I think that's going to change what it is that we actually post online. For instance, my son posted a picture of his four-wheel drive online Mm -hmm. last night. I think that's probably quite safe. Mm -hmm. But once we start posting up pictures of people, you just never know. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a fetish out there for everything that exists. Yeah. (sighs) There literally is. And it's just a very sad world in which we live. You Mm -hmm. know, I remember when Facebook first came out and we were all so innocent back then and had so much fun and posted all kinds of stuff up. I haven't posted a photo on Facebook for probably 15 years now Mm. because it's just become a really disgusting place. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I hope that, you know, this can incite change going into the future. Hey, we've just had a message come through. Uh, People want me to read the question again more properly. So let me me do this again. Okay. Do it more properly. I I said I I, I did it twice. Like, I'm like... You didn't do it more properly. Okay, more properly. Okay. What widespread lack of food forced the patriarch Isaac to leave his home and move to another country? 0491-064-669 is the number to call. I hope that was properly enough. Thank you, everyone. Okay. All right, but another text message just came through. It said, Lawson, you got to admit, giving Bible studies the good news must be the best news. Oh, it is amazing. It's praise the Lord. Can't get more positive news than that. That was awesome. Okay, last story involving children that is quite positive. So a bunch of American uh, tourists, high school students, they're uh, they're in Israel right now. They're hanging out at the Dead Sea. They're seeing the sights, having a great time, and then they got lost and stranded. <laughs> lost? It's not. Is it pretty hard to get lost in Israel? It's a small country. Yeah, that's right. But it has one mountain range, one valley. That's, uh, that's how it goes. well. They and got the, the well. They got um, yeah, lost in the Nahal. Okay, I want to pronounce this correctly. Uh, so this is near the Dead Sea. It's the Nahal Og. Have you have you been to this place? Doesn't ring a bell. Nahal Og Canyon River. So they no, like, I haven't been there. So they got lost in this canyon and stuck. That's a really easy place to not be lost. Yeah, but they they apparently they got water lost flows there. down. Follow the water. Water brings you to people. <laughs> These are children. <laughs> they, they, yeah, but I was taught that when I was like three. <laughs> Okay, well, nonetheless, they were lost. They were reported mit- missing at 7 p.m. Um, the Israeli police, um, well, the uh, the police that hang out around the Dead Sea called the Meg- Megalo Dead Sea Rescue Unit, they launched some drones to find the kids, and they found them. <laughs> they nice. found these kids, like, hanging out in the desert at nighttime. Fortunately for them, they had packed water and everything. It had only been, you know, a couple hours, maybe, like, five, six hours. So they were okay. They found them out there. They, you know, were able to identify where they were. They then got some police cars out there and some and a bus and they got them all back to safety. Yeah, I think I was, I think I was going to get lost and uh, was going to rely on a police force to find me. The Israeli police force is pretty clued up guys. Yeah, they know what's up. They, they are well trained. That's right. That's there right. are worse places to be lost than in Israel, <laughs> in Israel. If, the, if you are relying on the police force to find you. Yeah. So thankfully, all of these US school children were found and um, yeah, they're back home safe. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Time for the 
200 point question for the quiz. Lawson, go for it. All right, for 200 points, what substance did God use to form the first man? 0491 is the number to call if you know the answer. For 200 points, you can win yourself an issue of Science Magazine or you can get your points on the board, continue to work your way through the quiz, answer every question correct and win every single prize. But again, for 200 points, what substance did God use to form the first man? I hope that's properly enough for you guys. I hope you understood it. Thank you. Thank you for for, for reminding us that the... Oh, I, I want you to be able to answer the quiz. So hopefully that was up to standard. All right. Well, while people are texting through the quiz, Freco has texted through to say the law when it comes to the internet, the laws when it comes to the internet are weak and there should be more liability and harder penalties. Meanwhile... Uh, Raphael has this to say, the, um, the story about sharing the private pictures in, in Ireland. Police shut down the page. That is great news. That is exactly what they should be doing. Well done. Mm. They should do the same to all porno sites. Yes. But gutless corrupt leaders in charge won't let them. Not part of their agenda. Sick people. See, the problem here is that the people who have the power to shut down the sites are the users of the sites. Mm-hmm. You know. Yep. People who are using pornographic sites are not going to shut those sites down. Mm-hmm. Moving on to more, well, if that's not serious enough, but those had some positive twists to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on to more serious news, uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson has just been confirmed to the United States Supreme Court. Now, this is super interesting because she's actually super famous for not being a bi- biologist. Yep. <laughs> um, there is like a million memes coming across my social media about, oh, I'm not a biologist and I can't answer that question. I'm not a pastor. I can't answer. I'm, I'm not a this. I'm not a that. I'm not a the other. We've said a few of them on yeah, Faith we, FM. Yeah, we say a few of them on, on Faith FM from time to time. And so she's being touted as the first black woman to be uh, confirmed to the Supreme Court of the United States. But she doesn't actually know whether that's true or not because she doesn't know what a woman is because she's not a biologist. She's not a biologist. Yeah. Although, there is another way of looking at this. Mm-hmm. She's either the dumbest person on the Supreme Court or the smartest, and she might very well be the smartest person on the Supreme Court. I want you to think about this for a moment, mm-hmm. because I was thinking about this the other day, because I've seen all the memes and had a good laugh at them and so forth. However, she's answering this question in a politically charged environment mm-hmm. in which she doesn't want to answer the question because it's a polarising question and she doesn't want to be polarised into one camp or the other in relationship to radical gender ideology, Mm -hmm. which is gutless. But then she answers it by saying, I can't give you a definition for what a woman is because I am not a biologist. That statement is actually a very powerful statement because Mm -hmm. it is a statement that says gender is biological. Mm Mm-hmm. And a biologist can define that. Mm-hmm. Not a psychologist, not a shrink, any of that kind of stuff, psychiatrist, whatever, but a biologist. So she, that answer could very well be the shrewdest, smartest answer that a Supreme Court judge has given in, a, in confirmation hearings in the United States. Interestingly, like, um, I saw a, st- like, not a statistic, a kind of graph, uh, showing that she's probably experience wise one of the most qualified Supreme Court judge judges. Yes. Like she she has the most she experience. Has a, lot of, a lot of runs on the board. And degrees and all of these things. So potentially, you know, she could be really good. <laughs> Obviously it was it was funny to to talk about the memes and stuff, but we'll we'll see what happens. 
the other thing with, I mean, the, the flip side to this coin is that if you look at her uh, judgments that she has handed down, in 100% of the pedophile cases that have come before her, she has given the lowest possible penalty. Ooh. That's something I find concerning. Yeah. And in 100% of those pedophile cases, when there has been further on in, you know, after the person has served a certain amount of time or the legislation has changed or whatever and has been opportunity to further reduce those cases, she has always reduced them by the maximum. Mm -hmm. And so I have a major question in my mind about that. What is the philosophy behind that? If some of those cases are being reduced and some of them are being increased then I understand that that is a judge looking at the totality of the circumstances and handing down a penalty that, you know, works for the situation, which is what a judge is supposed to do. But when it's 100% one direction, that raises a bunch of question marks in my mind and it makes me go, wait a minute, what's, what's going on here? Does this person have some kind of agenda that we need to be aware of? Mm. Anyway, we won't know until the... Uh, Supreme Court until she becomes a part of the Supreme Court and those kind of cases start to come before her. Mm. Uh, moving on to other news, uh, the super controversial John MacArthur, uh, pastor of a large evangelical megachurch in California, uh, is launching two schools this year. Now, John MacArthur was famous for defying the lockdown laws and continuing to hold worship services in his church during COVID. He was then taken to court he was able to successfully fight through those court cases right the way up through to the Supreme Court based on religious liberty, freedom of conscience, mm -hmm. and the fact that corporate worship was a part of what his church taught was necessary to be a Christian. Mm -hmm. He faced all kinds of persecution. They tried to close his car park on a technicality. They pretty much threw everything at him, the state of California and the United States government, that they possibly could, and he managed to... Win them all. Mm. So that's interesting. He's now just starting two schools this year. And when it comes to starting schools, this is this is a great idea. Uh, these are called Grace Academy. Uh, they're going to be a network that's going to include homeschooling. He says it's a battle even in Florida to stop teachers teaching radical transgender ideology to kindergarten children. Mm. And that's just bizarre. Because I just want to say this, no normal person wants to have a, a, a conversation with a five-year-old kid, especially a five-year-old kid that is not their own, mm -hmm. about sex and about yes. LGBT plus issues and about gender ideology. That is not a normal person. That's right. And so our schools have become infected with just the most debased, grooming sickos that I can even begin to imagine. Now, not all schools are like this. Mm -hmm. Obviously. But they're infested with it. Mm. And we see the evidence of around it. And, and basically what has happened is that pedophiles have been put on notice because we've put in all kinds of restrictions on them. And I know I've said this before, but we've put all kinds of restrictions on them because of institutional child abuse, and they've just changed it, and now they've made it a requirement that they do this kind of grooming. Mm. It's terrible, terrible stuff. Children are being robbed of their childhood when they should be playing with teddy bears and dolls and Legos and whatever else they are being confronted with these kinds of ideas that they are simply not qualified for and they can't consent to. Yes. Mm. Child cannot give that kind of assent. Uh, John MacArthur says that these schools will be there to cultivate, number one, number one idea, cultivate moral character. Mm. Number two, 
motivate love for Christ. Number three, uh, provide an alternative to schools that are teaching radical gender ideology. And, you know, I just like to say, welcome to the party. Mm. You're late, but we're glad you're here. Mm. This is something that Christian churches should have been doing for a very, very long time. The Catholic Church recognized this hundreds and hundreds of years ago and has a massive network of education right around the world. The second biggest private education system, of course, is the Seventh-day Adventist education system, and this radio station is sponsored by the Adventist Church, owned by the Adventist Church. So this sort of gives us a little bit of an opportunity to brag, but we didn't come to the party until the 1870s. Mm. But since then, we've been able to open over 9,000 schools across the world in 100, and, 100 different countries. Um, we've got 115 universities and colleges, mm. 150,000 students in those universities and colleges. And when you look at the Adventist philosophy of education, as you'll find in the book Education by Ellen White, you will find that, well, John MacArthur's probably been reading it because number one, is cultivate moral character. <laughs> Number two is motivate love for Christ. That's amazing. I would not be surprised when I read this statement right here, I'd like, he's read the book Education. <laughs> yeah. You know, we had, we had that back in the 1870s or whatever it was, uh, and he's read that book and he's gone, here's a great idea, this is what we need to be doing. And we need to recognise that education is the single most powerful force either for good or evil that there is in our world because mm. if you change the education system... You change the culture in one generation. Wow. There is nothing more powerful than education. There is a reason why the Great Reformation of the 16th century was so powerful. It began at a university. That's right. In Wittenberg, every great movement has been focused around education. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different which means that we are working through our pentathlon quiz. 300-pointer coming up right now. All right, for 300 points, how many demons were cast out of Mary Magdalene? 0491-064-669 is the number to call. If you know the answer for 300 points, you can win yourself a pocket sermon or get your points on the board, continue to work your way through the quiz. But again, 300 points, how many demons were cast out of Mary Magdalene? All right. Well, joining us on the phone this morning is Dr. John Ashton. Uh, Dr. John Ashton, welcome to the show. Hello, is I can hear you now. Uh, welcome yeah, to the show, good. John. Yeah. We understand that uh, recently the full human genome has been published. Now, I'm just wondering whether you can share with us uh, what this actually means and what the significance of it is. Yeah, sure. Okay, well. Um a, a groundbreaking paper was uh, published um, just less than uh, two weeks ago on the 31st of March. Um, so, yeah, just over a week ago, actually, in the journal Science. Um, and uh, the uh, title was The Complete Sequence of a Human Genome. And uh, so, of course, we learned back in around 2000 that it was announced that the human genome had been uh, sequenced. But um, that was uh, only uh, a very small fraction of the, of the genome. Um, and so, uh, and what that uh, referred to was uh, the eucrochromatic 
um, section of the uh, genome. And then we've got the heterochromatic regions. Uh, and these are huge regions of the, of the genome that were very puzzling. They were referred to more or less as the sort of the junk uh, T- G- DNA area. So the amount that was, uh, was covered actually was only about 1.8% of the human genome. Um, which is only a very small fraction. So it, it's quite amazing when we look at our, our DNA. Uh, so we've got this um, coding and non-coding sort of area of uh, DNA. So you can think of our, our genome. So uh, perhaps to step back a bit, we've heard of our DNA. Our DNA is what uh, programs um, us, who we are, humans. Yes. It makes us a human. Um, there's about uh, just over three billion uh, letters, we uh, uh, or nucleotides, which we call the, the letters, which we abbreviate A, C, T, and G, um, in the code. And if we look at a mouse, for example, there's about two and a half billion in a mouse. And so, out of these three billion um, or, or so uh, letters that describe and how uh, our body, our the cells, make us up. Um, the um, only about 1.8 or less than 2% of that uh, was was believed to be well, understood to encode for for proteins, and so we can think of this the genome being split into two parts: is the stuff that codes for proteins, which we call the coding DNA, and then, for lack of a better term, the rest of the genome was referred to as non-coding DNA, and that's the area that some is that the what is yeah, called jump. Jump. Yeah, that's right, and um, and because and that represented, as I said, ninety eight percent of the sequence. So it's a, a huge part. This huge code was there, and people didn't understand what it was. So what they're figuring out is that um, these this other part of the sequence does all sorts of things, like it regulates um, the uh, the gene. So if we if we think the the human DNA has about 20,000 genes, and these genes are made up on the um, on the 23 pairs of chromosomes that we have. And so in males and females, there are 22 uh, chromosomes that are essentially the same, and then that 23rd pair in the female has what we call the XX chromosomes. So there are chromosomes coming pairs, whereas in a male, it's males have... Instead of a pair, they have two different ones. They have an X and a Y chromosome, and so we and so these chromosomes, as I said, contain genes. And overall, there's about twenty thousand genes. So what they've found is that this so-called junk DNA, um, and they're still trying to figure out how how it works, uh, but um, it uh, does all sorts of things like regulating those genes so that they figure out when they should turn on, when they should turn off, um, how much should be turned on. And so we know certain genes, for example, it can be a mutation that will stimulate cancer, you know, all these sort of things um, that uh, go on, how we react in our environment. Um, It's amazing. But one of the things that came out of this report, the title, as I said, big title, The Complete Sequence of a Human Genome, but they still haven't been able to sequence the Y chromosome. So it was for a, a female. And also, 
the other interesting thing, it's not from a particular uh, woman that, uh, or a particular female that they've, um, uh, human female that they've um, encoded. It's made up of samples from all different uh, uh, females that, uh, or people that they've uh, put put together to make this. And as I said, it's quite fascinating. But uh, for a number of uh, reasons, they haven't been able to uh, fully characterise the, the Y chromosome, yet there are some stability problems that um, are involved. Um, so this seems like a massive, a massive, a, a massive job to be able to sort through and to reveal the code. You know, three billion letters. I mean, it's taken what twenty-two years since they first said, "Oh, we've uh, we've uh, we've sequenced the whole human genome," which was well, we've only actually sequenced less than two percent of it. And now they're saying, "Well, we yes, we've done it this time, but they still haven't done it for males." So it must be just an enormously complex job. Yeah, yeah, they still haven't done for the male, yeah, for the male chromosome, um, that part of the gym, and also a whole lot of other parts as well. And the other point that they make is too, that this is for one step, but there's a huge amount of variation in the human genome as well. And, um, what they're saying is, okay, well, we've got to do a lot more work there because this sort of, you know, it actually doesn't even represent one complete single person that's made up of a whole lot of bits from all different samples that we've put together where we've been able to analyse different sections uh, because this in, involved a huge uh, team of scientists uh, working on this. Um, there are over uh, about 100 authors to this paper. So 100 scientists were involved. Um, at least, plus their assistants. So these are the authors, the senior scientists, hundred senior scientists. Now, I think the point is that evolutionists have to believe that this amazing code that works, that is so complicated that we're still struggling to figure it out. We're still struggling to develop the technology, the biological tools to figure out and understand what this huge slab, as I said, you know, 98% of it, which contains these huge sequences that are just repeated over and over and over again, and they're trying to figure out now, hang on, how does this work? What happens? But we know it is, we've discovered now this is doing things. How is this working? Um, and yet evolutionists have to believe that this amazing encoding system arose by, arose by chance that is really challenging scientists without you know, top technologies that we have today. Scientists working in the top genetic uh, laboratories in the world, working together uh, from scientists from around the world, contributed to this paper. You know to work it out. And, and I mean, I there, was, it, there was there were scientists back in two thousand who were struggling to wrap their heads around the complexity of the less than two percent that they had decoded. And well, you know, that's right. Mm. And, and now we've got so much vastly improved, you know, information technology to be able to you know, to number crunch and to calculate all of these things and, and to study it and to research and to record the information that we've got. We are so far ahead of where we were 22 years ago in our abilities to be able to do this, which is which has brought us to the point where we've done a whole chunk more. It seems that there is a lot more yet to be done. It seems oh, to me yeah. that the more we study, the greater the problems, be, the more we learn, the greater the problems become because 
the greater the complexity becomes. Yes, exactly. Yes, the, the chemistry is um, is absolutely uh, uh, amazing. There, like these these non-coding um, DNA sequences, um, they lie sort of between the genes. And uh, as I said, there are massive studies underway to study what their function is, and um, and some of them are called um, uh, introns um, and. Um, these uh, are involved in uh, transcribing the messenger RNA that we hear a lot about in the uh, um, with the, the vaccines and, and so forth. Uh, they they regulate um, the ribosome functionality. So the ribosome is actually the code reader for the DNA. So the DNA is useless without it's a code that is describing um, our who our structure, who we are, and the function of everything, our liver, heart, and everything. And so some of this, um, as I said, this massive uh, DNA introns, um, they uh, are believed to regulate, for example, transfer uh, RNA, um, uh, ribosome RNA activity. Um, and so, again, when, when you delve into it, you've got all these complex systems and regulatory systems and as I said, some of them then involve the code reader itself, the re- the, co- the reader that is responsible to read the code because without the ribosome to read the code, the code would be useless. So you've got this interconnected system that, again, could not possibly arise um, at the same time mm. to, to work, you know. And there's so much evidence there. And as you say, as we, we dig down into things and we remember that, all these um, these structures are dependent on the chemical bonding activity. They're dependent on the actual shape and structure. Some of their functionality um, is affected by just you know the physical shape and the way they're structured. And this is all dependent on the, the, the dependent on the chemical properties of the atoms. And as we delve down into the structure of the atom now. We're just finding more and more and more and more particles as we drill down into the particles. Oh, hang on, there's more bits and pieces in this. And then we drill down further, oh, there's more bits and pieces in this. And um, it's absolutely fascinating, again, that as these all these components that make up the atom in its nucleus and so forth that give it its properties, the interactions and the force fields that are involved, make up these chemical bonds that then give these particular characteristics. And it's it's all sequenced. It's and it's it's all working in harmony. The whole structure from nuclear chemistry right up to molecular biology is all working in harmony. And uh, it's an amazing, it's an absolutely fascinating system. And it, in my view, yes, it just overwhelmingly points to an amazing, super intelligent design. We don't see random processes. Um, like if you just you know take a bunch of chemicals in the uh, you know from a, a chemical store and mix them all up, you you just get a gooey mess. You don't suddenly produce something, some new amazing compound or polymer that's you know got some amazing you know uh, corrosion resistant properties or even structural properties or anything like that. It doesn't work. Random processes don't produce amazing new you know structures. We don't see you know, the wind carving out an amazing statue of a, of a battleship or something like that. Mm. Um, 
you know, it's the and so all these these amazing structures point to you know a, a super intelligent design. And the other thing that came out, so I read the paper was reading. You know, they talk about oh well, you know, monkeys share you know so much of the same um, DNA and all this sort of thing. Uh, and when you realise that, hang on, there's there's huge differences. Uh, sure, they have uh, you know similar biochemistry, similar clotting systems, and this sort of thing. So the same a number of same components God has used in in mammals, and um, and and this just makes a you know a whole whole lot of sense. You know, there are similar characteristics between a Porsche and a, a Volkswagen back in the olden days. You know, because they had the same design team. Um, you know, Porsche and his son. Um, and the two Porsches and um, father and son. And so, uh, yeah, to me, when I look at the complexity of this and how much effort is being put into uh, trying to understand how it works, and uh, the bottom line is, is saying that I'll just read yeah, their conclusion and it says, oh, although this particular sample, CHM13, represents a complete human haplotype, it does not capture the full diversity of human genetic variation to address this bias. And uh, they're saying that there's a, another reference consortium has joined with their consortium called the uh, T2T consortium to build a collection of high-quality reference haplotypes from the diverse set of samples. And they're saying until this goal is realised and any human genome can be completely sequenced without error, um, their particular uh, uh, genome represents a more complete, representative, and accurate reference. Amazing, earlier. amazing, Doctor so John Ashton. We're still not there yet. Yes, but we're working on it. We're working on it. We're closer <laughs> to it. That's fantastic. Um, and, and it just, you know, it, it. Well, I guess one of the lessons that jumps out to me is, you know, two thousand twenty in the year two thousand, we called this junk DNA, but now science has discovered that it's not junk and. We shouldn't place too much reliance on everything that comes out in our textbooks because it might change tomorrow. But Dr. John Ashton, thank you so much for joining us here on Faith FM this morning. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.